We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Rune podcast. This is episode 233 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Plenty to get to on this fine Wednesday. I've been. You know, I've had the same issue this week. I can never remember what day it is. It's just. It uh, that's could be Friday. That's every, could be Monday. It's all. It's all the same to me right that's now. That's every week for me. But that's just about as interesting as talking about the weather. So let's get this train rolling downhill. Matt, how the hell? I'm. Um, I'm. I'm doing lovely. It's been a. It's been a wild week of sports here. Um, honestly, if, if yeah. we're if we're being totally transparent the bears loss was probably like the lowest on the totem pole in terms of things i cared about in the sporting world this week um okay. but it's 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 been a it was a fun the the notre dame coaching search and all that has kind of had my full attention for the last week or so and it's been a fun ride so i, I would say i've had a good week how about yourself fair enough we will uh we will touch on it all had a good week as well um got some army navy coverage coming up here on that's Saturday right you're going to be in the in the building jacked up about Did you get a brand new overcoat for it i feel like you have to. Uh, no we're sticking with the we're sticking with the camel we're sticking with the old tried and true uh obviously back fresh from the dry cleaner so we're of gonna course, be crispy um but it'll be myself danny cannell dennis dodd doing our pre-halftime and post gonna be a lot of fun tune in see bs sports hq that's cbsports.com you can catch uh, a nice little pre-game hit at 11 o'clock, and then we'll be doing a full pregame show from 3 to 3.30. That's Eastern time, so uh, adjust accordingly. But uh, looking forward to just the, um, the pageantry of, of what that rivalry means. And, you know, I've been digging into a, a bunch of research, and I wrote an open piece for it. So I'm, like, fully geared up and ready to go, looking very much forward to that. But before we look forward, Matt, we do need to look back. And yeah, I know you said that. Um, Bears, it's always where we begin. I know you said that it was the thing that you kind of I still watched you or that you I cared still about the it, least. But... Yeah, definitely. But I don't know why I found myself very frustrated by that game. Like, even with the state of mind of trying to detach myself from result, mm-hmm. um, especially without Justin Fields in the game, um, it means nothing. It, it truly means nothing. Yeah. And if anything else, it's one step closer to the end of the Matt Nagy era. So why not? celebrate that i just i just found i just saw it as a team that had plenty of opportunities to win a football game that didn't take those opportunities um you had kyler murray back showing some signs of rust obviously kids scores four touchdowns but yardage wise they kept him in check sloppy track kind of played in the hands of the bears we say it every year but those awful orange jerseys made me mad it was just kind of like a mishmash of disjointed thoughts about Mm -hmm. this team like nothing about it felt concrete nothing about nothing about it felt too damning nothing nothing about it made me feel good so i i don't i walk away from that just kind of feeling about the bears and i know it's a term that i use often but feeling like we're right in the thick of that football purgatory where there's there's no there's no light from the tunnel behind you and no light from the tunnel ahead yeah it just this season, I feel like the last few weeks especially have been more targeted towards our anger and ire towards Matt Nagy. I think if I felt anything, 
during this game, it was more anger towards Ryan Pace. If, if for whatever reason, seeing the lineup, seeing the guys, seeing Jakeem Grant being their leading receiver and seeing yeah. you know, Demir Bird get seven targets, I think that was more to me like these are at, we have one injury at wide receiver and these are the guys we're throwing to. Like I, Darnell Mooney had his targets, had a few receptions, all that, but like he's the guy you game plan for, so Arizona's not going to give up much to him. And you're relying on a career kick returner and Demir Bird, who I had never heard of before a couple weeks ago and realized he was on the yeah. Bears catching passes for him. You look at corners who keep routinely getting beaten. Xavier Crawford, another guy, couldn't have told you who he was before a couple weeks ago. He misses I thought it was a, Kelvin Vildor, and he just changed his number the way that's playing. basically like a, the same essentially, thing. Essentially, like I mixed them up twice during that. Game. He had he had James Conner making this acrobatic great catch, albeit it was great catch, but left him incredibly exposed for a wide open mm-hmm. shot to the side, and just kind of dove at his ankles, missed, ran for twenty whatever yards and a touchdown. But he, it was oh, not that I ever expected them to win, but it was over the second you heard Murray and Hopkins were playing. And then on that yeah. first drive, it was just a beautiful ball from Murray to Hopkins. And it was like, oh, okay. It's just but, like everybody in the world knew that. that yeah, was that was going to happen. Except the ref standing next to him. But even, even more so, Andy Dalton, this was the guy that Matt Nagy told you throughout camp, gave them a better chance, better to, chance win, to win. And that, better chance to win. And that Ryan Pace thought was worth giving $10 million to, to save his job. That, that was a I have to save my job move from Ryan Pace because this was before they had Justin Fields. Yeah. At the time, that was a save-your-job move. They kept Jimmy Graham, who I believe is still getting $10 million a year, maybe $9 million a year. Yep. For whatever reason, uh, you cut Kyle Fuller, who was getting $17 million a year, whatever the hell it was, right around that to amount. Be honest with you, to be honest with you, I'm just there was saying, no right answer because Fuller has, has been terrible. I'm not standing Fair, fair enough. But at the, at the time, looking at, for, looking at what ahead. you needed, looking at their cornerback depth, looking yeah. at their offensive line depth, they parted ways with Kyle Fuller, who, yet yeah, okay, fine. He hasn't been good in Denver. He was still, at the end of last year, an all-pro corner. You cut yeah. Bobby Massey, who I've not, I'm never going to say I liked, but like he was a serviceable NFL right tackle. You cut Charles Leno, who was a serviceable NFL left tackle. And you've got Larry Borum, you found out, is fine. You're now rotating between... Someone named Elijah Wilkinson and a 40-year-old, granted first ballot Hall of Famer, but 40-year-old left tackle and Jason Peters. Like, It's not necessarily that you decided against those guys, but that you looked at these people, the guys that are on the market, decided to throw them the money you did and say, you give us the best chance to win. Yeah. A um, couple things, a lot to unpack. None of it is game-specific. Again, I don't know how much we can really glean from that game other than – Matt Nagy's calling plays again. Yeah, through a walkie-talkie. Like, okay. It's hilarious. I have no idea. No idea. <laughs> and then he wants to explore the whys post-game. I don't want to. I don't want to get into Nagy. It's well documented how we feel and what needs to be done. Yeah, we're trying um, to get into the there whys, are, guys, people. There that's, are, what we're yeah, that's what we're doing. We're exploring podcast. the whys here. <laughs> we're listening to Coach Nagy. Um, I, I want to explore some whys and some whats. Uh, but to your point of of uh, just the, the construction of this team and Ryan Pace's hand in that. I, I, we kind of had the conversation at depth in watching the game myself, Eric Casillas, Bryant McFadden. I know I'm doing a lot of name dropping here, but, um, you know, Scott Pioli watching the game. You get to, I get to watch the game with some people who know some things. Yeah, and, know the NFL. Um, some people with some Super Bowl rings on their hands, multiple. Um, and the the refrain and the question that they posed to me because I'm the 
Matt Nagy is irreconcilable. There's no, there's no redeeming factor there. When it comes to Ryan Pace, I struggle and I do stump for him sometimes because his draft record outside of Mitch has been pretty good. He's found, I don't know if pretty good, but he's found late round value. He's gotten guys like Khalil Herbert. He's identified guys like David Montgomery. He's gone out mm-hmm. and maybe he's reached on guys like Cole Komet, who I want to talk about a little bit later. But it's not the talent identification it's the team construction and the financial side of it that he's just completely incapable of doing which is like which is like again uh, it, you go further up the ladder to Ted Phillips who's uh, who started as an accountant with the team like uh, isn't aren't there numbers people around who get this who can you who we can sit all these people in one room and, and have a conversation about value and dollar amount and mm-hmm. expected results and like yeah Jimmy Graham at the end of the season it's going to show that he scored six touchdowns and they're going to claimed that they were justified in giving him that boatload of money. But what about giving $10 million to Andy Dalton? What about giving however many millions of dollars to Nick Foles? What about giving however many millions of dollars to Mike Glennon when you gave that money to Mike Glennon? Like that's, that's give what a sixth-round draft pick for Jakeem Grant. Like it's just – it's just – it's a very uh, – it's a, it's a work sample with so many holes in it that – it is. It has gotten to the clean house level of things. Like I, I know I've come out here on the podcast and said before that as long as Nagy's gone, I wouldn't hate seeing Pace get another draft. But at this point, like to do what to make to draft decent players and then to like bankrupt the roster and handcuff yourself to a bad cap number five times mm-hmm. over and then not be able to retain certain talent. Like it's just. It's over, you know? I think yeah. it comes down to the certain, the simple fact that this era of Chicago Bears football is over, which is such a shame because we wasted what was one of the best pass catchers that we probably have ever, ever had seen. in Allen Robinson. Yeah. Um, we wasted one of the greatest defenders in the history of the league in Khalil Mack. Um, we're on the doorstep of wasting a generational linebacking talent. Um, we wasted, like you said, an all-pro corner. We wasted. Hicks. Let, let's not. Let, let we wasted. Prime of Hicks. Let, Hicks. Let's not. Let's not go wasting a rookie contract of a, of a quarterback that we can be excited about. Yep. It's just been a waste. It's been a real waste. I, it's there's a place for Ryan Pace in the NFL as a Bars. draft evaluator, talent evaluator. Some to some extent that way. I, I, you've said he hasn't been a terrible drafter. He's obviously missed on the big ones. Uh, the, the ones yeah. that you should get people fired and that's nothing against him but if you miss on enough of those that, that's what gets you fired but he's proven himself as a guy that can find you some value in the draft i think he's just a guy that probably shouldn't be making the the final decision on those guys because like we've seen with guys like Tariq cohen adam shaheen sometimes he falls too in love with the tools instead of the actual like you know player result and he needs yep. probably someone higher up like actually this isn't worth this risk at this time we're going to pass on whatever but like you said it's 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 everything else. It's it's the mismanagement of the roster. I don't know what what I don't know what clicked on Sunday for me. We've known it for a while, but just like these guys that that are you know the NFL is such a league of depth, and you have to have you know depth throughout the fifty three man roster. You're not going to play obviously all eighteen games with yeah. You're not going to have all eighteen games with your starters or seventeen games with your starters. What, usually you're going you're gonna to need different quarterback for a couple of weeks, and obviously all throughout the roster you're going to need guys to spell players. And yeah. these are the, – the Bears have some injuries. They're not like 
you look throughout the league, they're not as like alarmingly bad as everybody else. And these are the guys that we have to trot out. It's it's because of the lack of financial flexibility because of the money and essentially cap hit, dead cap, that Ryan Pace just decided to shell out to bring in guys that weren't all that good or worth it. It's and like you tried solving the same problem four different ways, and it's like, no, 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 you can't do it. Like you, you, you can't, can't just do keep that. doing that. You can't do that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a it's, shame is what it, it is. is. It's, but, okay, so I want to I get away from the Ryan Pace conversation. Sure. I want to get away from the Matt Nagy conversation. I have some observations here from this game and, sure. and I guess, larger observations as well. I'm going to dip my paintbrush here into the Bears paint, and we're going to Jackson Pollock it at the canvas. And you just – you just pick up whichever one of these you want. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a couple thoughts here. Okay. Uh, Cole Komet needs to be better right now. Agreed. Um, Allen Robinson has played his last down of football as a Chicago Bear. Um, I want to take two seconds to be positive about something, and for as poorly constructed as it is, I'd like to applaud the offensive line for their effort this season because they got a guy running the ball behind them who maybe looks them, makes them look a little bit better than they actually are, but mm-hmm. they've been – They've been solid in the run game and serviceable in the pass game. Um, those those are my three big things right now. Is like if I want to be positive about something, the offensive line has outperformed my expectation. I don't think Allen Robinson is all that hurt, and I don't think we'll ever see him play Bears football again. And I'm I'm, I'm done I'm done sticking up for Cole Komet. He's still doing things that are unacceptable. Yeah. At, at he's you're not a rookie anymore. You're not even a sophomore anymore, kid. Mm-hmm. Like it's time. To, to stop, you know, it's the old adage, look like Tarzan, play like Jane, which is probably something we're not even allowed to say anymore. But it, it's it's indicative of the way that the expectation we have for him, because of the athlete he is, because of what we saw he was capable of at, at, the, at the prior level at Notre Dame, because of what we want him to be. He's I, I, I've long called him Baby Gronk, just because the mm. way he looks, you know. He's got that – he's got a little reckless abandon to him. He's jacked to the gills. We thought he could catch the ball, but I guess he can't. He, he looks needs... like he's just thinking out there, like way overthinking. He really does. It, it, such, it looks like such a good way to put it. It looks like he's trying to catch the ball with his brain. And yeah, that's it just, not how it works. It's like the wheels are spinning too fast. When like I, I obviously the NFL is a new level, and maybe this goes again partially back to to coaching and and you know not overcomplicating things for certain guys. But at the same time, like you said, this isn't your rookie year anymore. This is you know, 50, 12 games or whatever it is into your second season, like you have to start, you have to figure out how to play the game at this level, whether that means in your head, you have to learn how to simplify some things. I, I don't know what it is, but he looks like he's thinking too much and it's always with him. It seems like it's one step forward and then two steps back. Like he'll have a good game where he'll have, you know, six receptions, 70 yards, maybe a touchdown. And they're like, all right. Yeah. Like that's some progress. That's the thing we wanted to see. And then we have games like Arizona uh, on Sunday where he's, got an easy catch for a first down and it just throws it up into the air into a defense defender's hands. I don't get it. I, I, it just, he looks like a player with zero confidence and is just overthinking way, way, way too much out there. And sometimes and when, hopefully, hopefully it is a matter of confidence too, Matt. And that, cause that's something that you can get to. That's something that you mm-hmm. can establish if him and Justin can get together in the off season and, and find that confidence. Hopefully he still does ha- have that room towards his ceiling. But again, how many tight ends can you miss on? Yeah. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make a. Does this say something trade? to the system at this point? Because I, I know, I he picks, know, but like, what tight end has worked in Matt Nagy's system? 
that's it's, uh, Jimmy Graham. I don't know. <laughs> it kind of, yeah, sure. Jimmy yeah, Graham made that really and nice a, catch as time expired against and the that's Saints. That's a wide receiver. Um, um, so I'm going to make a weird. I'm going to make a, a statement here that might not be right. Um, <laughs> it might not even make a whole lot of sense. Make a statement. It might not be right. Right per se, quote unquote. Uh, Tommy Boy quotes right, um, but I think that in today's NFL, with with what offenses have to be capable of. I think that the tight end is more important than having a A-plus pass catcher. I think the tight end is more important than having an all-pro running back. I think the tight end is what unlocks an offense in today's NFL. Because if you have a pass-catching tight end, what we expect Cole Komet to be, who can also put his hand on the ground and block, what we expect Cole Komet to do, then your offense can do so much more. Your offense can can operate so much more freely if you have a guy who is a second-level threat from the tight end position. Look at all the successful teams. Look at all the, the teams who have won Super Bowls and contended for conference championships over the last five years. They all have top-tier tight ends. You're mm-hmm. talking about the George Kittles of the world. You're talking about the um, – you're talking about the – I know they haven't contended, but Darren Waller allows that offense to be special even after losing – they're, they're deep threat in Henry Ruggs. You're talking about guys who can really take offenses to the next level. The, the feature tight end of Tyler Higby being what he can be in that L.A. offense. Like, if you have a tight end who can do both things and do both of them really well, everything gets easier on everybody else. And that's what we drafted Cole Komet to be. Not to say that he's the, he's the missing piece to this puzzle of an offense because – the pieces to those puzzle have been mixed up and lost over the years. So I, I'm not saying that like if once he figures it out, the offense unlocks, but it, it can go a long way in getting us to the next level as an offense. Yeah. The, if, if you have a tight end that can go over the middle of the field, catch passes, it, it makes defenses at every level throughout the middle of the field have to worry about it. You have linebackers you have to keep an eye on. You have safeties you have to keep an eye on. It just opens up everything for the people on the Gronk, outside. Gronk, and I know it, it's hard to compare anyone to Gronk because he's likely the greatest Best of, tight all, end time of all time to ever do it. But he was supposed to be done. He was supposed to be at WWE Royal Rumbles right now, and he found something again, whether it was finding Tom Brady again or getting his body Tom back, back to where it needed to be or uh, a – a mixture of all of the things that have gone right for him, but like get, get in the film room. That's the tape. You don't have to look very far to figure out what you should try and be, because that's exactly what Cole Komet should try to be. Yeah. I think you, you said it very well. And he's, what about a Rob? What about, do, do, do you think that I don't want to pose this as a question. Do you think he plays football again for the bears? Do you think he's, um, do you think he has any interest of being a Chicago bear? Or do you think that he still, has some sort of like assumed value in the marketplace because I don't know for as much as I wanted Allen Robinson to be, and as much as we knew he could be and his, his skill set that he brought to Chicago, if I'm a general manager at any of the other 31 franchises, mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm all that interested in Allen Robinson for the number that he's going to want because we haven't seen him do it in a very long time. He has become a possession receiver uh-huh. and is no longer really the big play threat that maybe he once was. I I know he's never had the benefit of having a top-tier quarterback throwing him the football, but I'm not sure I'm paying top dollar for Allen Robinson if I'm building a team. No, I think 
Justin Fields banging up his ribs probably delayed and maybe even was the final nail in the coffin for Allen Robinson. I don't think playing with Andy Dalton gives him any – increases his value in the market at all. Even if Justin was healthy, Justin was making best friends with Darnell Mooney, not Mm -hmm. Allen Robinson, and there's a reason for that. Maybe it's because Robinson has lost that next gear. I don't know. It it just seems like he's – you're right. Justin Fields seems to have gotten the, into a little bit more of a rhythm with Darnell Mooney. I don't. He this year's been weird. I kind of expected, you know, more of a last ditch effort to go get that big contract from Allen Robinson. For sure. And I feel like maybe it didn't start the way he did, and he's probably out there trying to preserve his value right now. Because if he comes out and has a big year, has a big start to the year with Justin Fields, all that kind of stuff, he probably mm-hmm. is looking at a big-time contract. But I'm with you. I, I don't think at least a contender is not going to. Like, you, you might find a, a bad team or, or someone like the Jets. <laughs> they would be a bad team um, yeah. who go out and throw him big money. But I don't think he, I don't think he's got much interest in – if he had interest in making pretty good money from not a good team, he'd have re-signed with the Bears last year. Like he, he, I, I think he wants to try and go win somewhere. And I don't think you're going to find a team like – like the Packers or someone like the I, – I can't even think off the top of my head, like the Chiefs, whatever, who are going to be like, yeah, we'll give you $20 million a year. No, we're going to we'll, – we'll give you like 13 maybe for, for three, something like that. And like he's not getting that big deal. Honestly, that's, that's big enough money for any wide receiver. I, I'm sorry. Like, again, you know how I feel about paying wide receivers and building your team from the outside in. It's just, it's just not the – roadmap to winning a championship mm-hmm. but to your point I think you make a very good point about there is no increased value in having Andy Dalton throw the ball two yards behind you on crossing routes no. for 10 weeks there's yeah. just nothing there for him to we know he can to. catch that 10 yard hitch yeah. he's, he's there, got that no, one on lock but I, my fear is that that's the extent of his route tree at this point of his, of his career I guess I, is the point that I'm making I, you know what? I don't really know just because I don't think he runs – I don't think we got to see much of a chance with him here to, yeah. to do that here. I don't think – I think Matt Nagy's offense is the most vanilla offense masked as a creative offense I've ever seen. Yeah. It's pretty much just the same thing over and over again with a whole bunch of different ways and, and smoke screens to make it seem like it's not vanilla, but it, but it is, and I think that's why you're seeing there's just no production from it. Um, I'll get to the offensive line, though. I think it, we were hard on this group, this team as a whole, outside of Justin Fields, who I think has taken positive steps this year. The offensive and line, Darnell, Darnell Mooney's and, been very good. And David, David Montgomery's been – that, that's – I. I was going to get into to Monty here a little bit with the line, but yeah. Dave Montgomery is an absolute stud, and I think we yeah. Khalil Herbert had a really nice couple games, and I think it made us feel like, oh man, like maybe you know, maybe they just have a you know pair of good running backs. Khalil Herbert's really good too. Dave Montgomery, I thought against Arizona, showed you why he is. He's like a feature back. He, he, he's a rare breed of, of running back still left in the NFL. He's a feature back. He's still a guy that wants you know twenty five carries a game. And he runs so incredibly hard. Like, the offensive line isn't bad. It's not great. It's still young, still growing, all that kind of stuff. I think they did a decent job, but Dave Montgomery also did a good job of making them look good when they didn't do a decent job. And I, I'm, I'm I'm encouraged about where the offensive line is going to go here. You need Tevin Jenkins to be, like, 
really good. And if he is that that really good left tackle, it's, like really good. Like, but you need him to be that that stalwart at left tackle, which I, I still think he's a better off as a right tackle. I don't get drafting a right tackle just to move him to the left side, uh, but that's not my decision to make. You need him to come in. You need and it won't be this year in all likelihood because it sounds like they're content with just getting him reps in practice and special teams and all that kind of stuff. Which with a back injury, fine. Um, but they need him. If he can come in and be that guy at left tackle, they have some pieces on the offensive line. I, I, I'm not. I like the interior of the offensive line. I like what Larry Borum's been able to do at right tackle. He's been a, a, another one of those pace late round draft picks we've talked about. They need that left tackle. It better be Jenkins. Yeah. Um. I, I'm excited to see what he can bring to the table, and it's got to hit. Like you said, you can't you can't continue to miss um, on some oh, of these big really position good. decisions. Yeah, like and we, I don't want to take that for granted whatsoever. But um, oh, I you know what? Shout defense, out um, for yeah. as bad as Andy Dalton played. I thought he showed great improvement in his tackling. He was a uh, top twelve in the team in tackles. Yeah. He had two of them. Yeah. I thought he had some good form, uh, um, good hustle, good angles, if, pursuit if angles. If we're uh, if we're offering Andy Dalton thoughts here, yeah, my prevailing thought is Andy Dalton in the all oranges is just overwhelming. I can't, I can't. It's I can't too much. It's it. way too it's much. Too, it's way too much orange. It's like, it's like why do they driving keep down the Merritt Parkway on an autumn day? Just too much orange. It's beautiful. Yeah. Too much orange. I, I don't know if you saw. I, I tweeted something along the lines of like, who up at Hallis Hall thinks it's a good idea to? Yeah. I don't know why they think it's a good idea to wear orange jerseys. A uh, friend of the podcast, Mike Kraft, responded, "Because people like me like them." Oh and yeah, yeah, no, he's he's long been he's long been on that. Uh, oh, so he I wasn't he's alone he wasn't that. joking. No, 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 no. I remember last year us making oh. the same indictment of those uniforms, and Mike being like, "They're awesome. I like. I think they're cool." That's you know that that sounds uh, about right. Special special teams hero, Mike Kraft. Uh, that's <laughs> that's just the that's just the that's the type of take you're going to get from that from that uh, that big brain. Uh, Matt, we have given the Chicago Bears a half hour of our time that they That's do not deserve. Way too much. Yeah. I do not want to spend too much time on uh, next week's game against uh, the Packers, but we do find ourselves the biggest underdogs in the NFL as twelve and a half point dogs against the Pack. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in prime time. It's going to be embarrassing. Rodgers is going to own us again. It yep. is what it is. Um, I don't even want to. The question is so recycled. Is there a bad enough beat that? we could have an interim head coach on Monday. Yes, I think there is. Um, uh, this is, this has long been what the McCaskies care about the most is these Packers games and another a national TV embarrassment, you know, 45 to seven, something like that. Like something very bad where they just looking up, they look embarrassed. Matt Nagy looks like an idiot. I, I think they're, I'm not saying it's likely, but I think there is, more of a chance than there's ever been. How about that? What do you think? I like that. Um, yeah, like, again, logic and normal, you know, a, a thought process would take you to that place. But I just, again, this is why I worry that he won't be fired day one of the offseason because I can't, I can't forecast the decision-making of those left to make the decisions for the Chicago Bears. I just can't anymore because it's, it's already – beyond me so I don't know I'd hope so I don't know um, I don't feel confident about making any sort of uh, prognostication about the future of Matt Nagy but the Chicago Bears short-term long-term or otherwise so do you uh, want Justin to Fields to play this Sunday 
If he's 100% healthy, yes. I want him to get experience against the Green Bay Packers. I want him to get primetime experience. I want, um, I want to see that competitive fire again. Do I want to see him in harm's way any more than he needs to be? No. And if he's anything less than 100%, put the headset on and stay in the windbreaker. Like I, I'm excited about the future for that young man, not about, the, not about today, not about tomorrow. I'm not a, that, that doesn't excite me at all. But if, if you can get him at full health, behind a offensive line that can bring their best game and mm-hmm. unfortunately have a guy like Matt Nagy calling the plays, which will probably put him in harm's way a couple times in the game. But regardless, it, it's it's the game of football. You're you're in danger for 60 minutes, but you got to feel that this rivalry means everything like you said to the McCaskies. The rivalry means everything to you and me. The rivalry means everything to the millions of Bears fans that breathe this team and live and mm-hmm. die by their success and more often their failures. These guys are in the rivalry and I think at times it doesn't mean as much to them as it does to us because they didn't grow up here. Yeah. They haven't gone through the years of strife. Aaron Rodgers doesn't own them just yet, you know? Yes, I'm sure they want to win every single football game, every single time they strap up their pads and go out there and play the game. But to understand this rivalry, you have to be in it as much as you can. You have to be around it as much as you can. You can say all the right things at the podium, but until you've been in this rivalry for a decade, until you've been in this rivalry and played the Packers five, ten times, I question what it means to you. So I want Justin Fields to start to understand what this rivalry not just means to the fan base, but I want him to start to feel what it means to him. So I would want to see him play if he is at full health. Fair enough. He has to be at 100 and 105% and 110%. Yeah. I, no, no, no. That's, that is, and that is the, that is the ultimate and only caveat. Like I, I don't want to see any sort of, because they're getting back to Smith. They're getting back pieces. It's going to be an even better Packers team. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but it's going to be a Packers team that, I think wins this Super Bowl this year, and it's gonna suck, and it's gonna it's gonna hurt. The only thing that would I'll take Tom. provide any rest, the only thing that would provide any respite from that is if it's a Packers Super Bowl on Sunday and Aaron Rodgers is on the Denver Broncos on Monday, like that. Because would that not be the ultimate middle finger to Brian Gutenkus? Is like here's your championship. I'm out of here. Like, I still, that, I still said I'm be, going. Yeah, that would be the ultimate. Aaron Rodgers' um, display of I'm the best you've ever seen and I'm going to do it my way. Um, So that would, I don't know, again, getting way out in front of ourselves Mm -hmm. here. But to me, it's the best and most complete football team in the NFL. And we got to play them in primetime this Sunday. Can't wait. Let's – I just, I want, if Justin Fields plays, I want him to look good. If he doesn't, I I just, I want it to get as bad as it can. I just, I want – even if Justin Fields plays, Joe, I I hope he throws for – you know, 250 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, looks really good, and they lose 42 to 14. Like, I yeah. want it to get better. I don't – who on – how is his defense going to stop Aaron Rodgers? Khalil Mack's not playing. But Keith Nix isn't there anymore. This, this, this second who the hell is going to – is our second corner this week? Xavier Crawford, Artie Burns, Kendall Vildor, Duke Shelley, whoever the hell you want. I like Jalen Johnson. I think he's had a nice season. He hasn't been great the last couple weeks either. He, yeah. He's got a it, – uh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It, I, I wish they would have flexed this. But at the same Can time, we, if you lose 42-14, to 14, I don't like – I don't see how you remain hired 
or remain with a job against the yeah, if you lose that badly. I just don't. I can't see it. But we're normal. Can we're normal. Norm, we're normal thinking people, not like the McCaskies. Can we make an agreement that if the Bears lose by twenty-eight or more, that we come on and we do a podcast next week and don't even acknowledge it? Can Deal. we just? Can we twenty-eight or more? Pod- four touchdowns or more? Deal. Twenty four touchdowns or more that we come on, we do a podcast, and we pretend like it never happened. That's you know, we'll just we'll come on with the old uh, with the with the it's NFL. Our own mental health. We'll just come on with the NFL primetime music. We'll go straight, straight into an into NFL whip, whip around. around. Straight into a whip around. Um, it feels appropriate. I know we're a little out of order here to yeah. offer up uh, a lock of the week because we this- are the biggest underdog of the uh, of the season, or excuse me, of the. Of the week here in week mm-hmm. 14, the Chicago Bears uh, catching 12 and a half. I won my pick last week with a sharp underplay that was never in doubt between the Raiders and the Washington football team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm at eight and five. You lost. What was your pick? I had Bama Georgia under 49 and a half. I that game that did not. Uh, that that was a weird game, and I I honestly wasn't yeah. even that upset about losing it because that was like a, you know what I just had. That was such a wrong read on it that you're like, that you can live with it. I can live no, with it. No, and that was like I don't know, no one I'm not sure that anyone expected what we saw there. Um, we'll get into the college, well, we'll get into some college stuff, but who's get your lock? You those, got, oh, who's who's trolls. your lock here? Now, for my lock of the week, I'm going to do two things you probably shouldn't do. I'm taking Jimmy G on the road and I'm fading Joe Burrow. Uh, for a couple of reasons here. Mainly Joe Burrow's pinky. Did not look good. He's a tough SOB you're going to have to pull him physically off the field for him not to play. Um, I just don't know how much better that pinky could get in six days' time, depending the extent of the injury, and I think it could get worse. Uh, The San Francisco 49ers are catching one on the road against the Bengals. I think Joe Burrow is fantastic. I would sign him up as my quarterback for the next 10 years in a heartbeat. But Kyle Shanahan, this San Francisco team, they have a way of playing their best football right when we're ready to write them off. They, they've already done it like twice this season, and I think they do it again on Sunday. Coming off that disappointing divisional loss to uh, Seattle where they had a million chances to win that game, I think we get again the best version of the 49ers here in a bounce-back effort. So I'm taking that one point on the road against Cincinnati. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I just – that's a game I – you said it, and a lot of times I, I would say I like your pick or I don't like – that one was one that I just thought was dead on right with that line, and I have zero feel to it. But if you got a feel for it, I like it. You've been obviously pretty good this year, so the people should trust you. Um, yeah, good, good thing we are just talking about the Bears and Packers. I'm going with the Packers laying 12 and a half. Um, I have no problem laying that 12 and a half. I don't fault you whatsoever. I'd have laid it probably up to 14. Uh, 14 and a half is where I get iffy, but – I. I just I don't see a way in which the Chicago Bears keep this football game close. They they played a really good team at home in Arizona with their quarterback and star wide receiver both coming back off an injury, easing it up in bad weather. They still let up 33 and lost by 11. You're going into Sunday night football. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers loves beating you, and he knows he can easily. He's going to put up 40 something points, and I don't think this offense can put up more than 14 or 17. So I'm going to take the Packers to win very, very easily on Sunday Night Football. Yeah, that stupid waffle shirt on, too, that, like, 1985 thermal that he wears when it's cold out. Yep. He's gonna beat, he's gonna he beat, has stupid hair, too. Up, he needs to cut his gonna, hair. It's going to brains in wearing long mudans. Ah, that's what we've come to. We, he beats <laughs> us, but we make fun of his clothes. That's, that's how we get back at him. Yeah. We are, we are a fashion pod. We always have been. 
people forget. All right, Matt, let's pivot. Pivot! Uh, we're pivoting to the college ranks to talk about uh, conference championship games, the results, college football playoff, the matchups, and a little bit of Notre Dame football because they don't find themselves in either of those conversations, but they were at the center of the conversation throughout the week last time we talked. Uh, they did not have a head coach. They do now. Marcus Freeman elevated. I know that's what you wanted, and I co-signed that decision. It really is a positive feeling around the program right now, and it's not too often that the casual or the uninterested fan or the fan without a dog in the fight is pro-Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Notre Dame has made some new fans with the way that the, the last week has gone in terms of Brian Kelly immediately becoming the villain, uh, doing the fake accent down in the bayou. Oh, my God. Uh, Forrest and Gump. Then, and then <laughs> Freeman coming out and just, I know it's a cliche term, but absolutely winning the press conference and seeming like the most genuine human being who's so excited to have this opportunity. I just think that there's a lot of positivity around Notre Dame, and usually that is only from within because they're so polarizing, and people who don't like Notre Dame just immediately hate Notre Dame because it's what you're supposed to do if you don't like Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of those casuals and those mid-level fans are in a way pulling for Freeman and pulling from the, for the Irish right now. Yeah, I've seen so many people throughout Twitter this week that, you know, not only say, I, you know, I haven't like Notre Dame, like I actively dislike Notre Dame. Yeah. But after watching these press conferences, it's really, really hard to not root for this guy and knowing the story, watching that video. And like, it's a talk to, you know, Alyssa's asked me about it and other people around the, you know, who don't know as much, who aren't you know, as close to Notre Dame, the program and stuff as we are like, like what, like why, like why are people so happy that Brian Kelly's gone or like, what's going on? Like why, like what's why, why is like, why do people love this guy so much? And yeah. I just, I feel like, I think you and I have talked about Brian Kelly before in the past that we've, after a lot of those playoff losses that, there is prob he's probably right. I, I do think with him at Notre Dame, there is a ceiling because Brian Kelly is a very good program manager, very good in-game coach. Or I, 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 I wouldn't even say that. I would say uh, weekly, probably game planner, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. He's a very good program CEO, program manager, can identify coaching talent and bring in good staffs around him. But when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to actually, you know, being in game and getting his team ready for teams that they probably shouldn't beat, I think he kind of sucked at it. And yeah. I think that showed for the most part. Notre Dame won his biggest win as the head coach at University of Notre Dame, the winningest head coach at the University of Notre Dame. His biggest win is a win at home against Clemson without their starting quarterback and without their starting linebacker in overtime. That was their yeah. biggest, that, that was his biggest win. Now he did a great, great job and it cannot be undersold how important it is to beat the teams that you should beat in college football, because every year we see teams lose to one or two that they shouldn't. That's why they don't go to the national championship. I don't, I hope Marcus Freeman's capable of keeping that success up. I don't, I have no reason to believe he isn't, but I, he seems like he has the recruiting chops and the, the way the defense grow, grew with him throughout this year to get the, where they were from day one to where they are now, yeah. it seems like he has the big there is a coaching prowess to it. There. There, there is yeah. a coach. Like He's not just this recruiter. He is a coach. He, he's an he's a actual good coach, too. There's a reason he was seen as a rising star when Notre Dame hired him as a defensive coordinator. It seems like Brian, Marcus Freeman presents a chance to break through the ceiling that Brian Kelly put over himself. Yeah, I'm not saying I, he will, 
But I feel right now Notre Dame is closer to a national championship with Marcus Freeman at the helm than wow. Brian Kelly. Because I, I, we talked about it on this podcast several times. Sorry, I said that before, but like, we've talked about it. He, everything needs to go, would have had, needed to go perfectly right for Brian Kelly to win a national championship. He would have had yeah. to caught a year where Bama wasn't Bama, or quite honestly, Bama missed the playoff. That's probably what he need, would have needed to happen because I think mentally he was never beating Nick Saban. And I think his teams kind of took on this that. This happened once in eight years, I might add. Yeah, it, it doesn't happen very often, but that, that, like, it's stuff like that that he would need to happen. You probably need to run into a team that was banged up, and, and even then, winning back-to-back games against really good football teams that are at your level, level or a little bit better, I don't think he was capable of doing that, and I don't think it's a coincidence that the recruiting is yeah. turned in favor of Notre Dame since Marcus Freeman took over because he actually wants to recruit. In his press conference, he said, I'm going to be the main recruiter. I have to be. That seemed like... Whether or not it was the question or the answer, it seemed like a little bit of a shot, at, a subtle shot at Brian Kelly, who very notably had really no desire to be that involved in recruiting. Yeah, and, you know, I'm about as excited as I've been about Notre Dame football probably since I was a little kid going to the stadium, and mm-hmm. that feels good. And I'm excited to see what it looks like when he gets his hands on this program and really forms it into – the image that he sees. But right now, I am just so excited that, you know, it feels good to not always, it feels good to be the good guy sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Notre Dame under Brian Kelly, I think we had to lean into being the bad guy. You did. And I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that that's the case with Marcus Freeman. Yeah, it'll come full circle and people will start hating Notre Dame again. And I'm not really all that concerned in the public perception of my fandom or my teams. But I think there's going to be a a fresh air in the fact that you could lean into being the good guy again. Someone in one of the group texts I'm in, it was after Kelly's uh, Forrest Gump speech at at halftime of the the LSU game. It's a great day. For my family. All right, guys. But like somebody was, you know, tweeting the clip and making fun of him or something. I, I forgot exactly what they're making fun of him for. But like, I, I said it to myself, and I said it in the group text because it's a group text full of largely those people that don't like Notre Dame. I just yeah. said like, I'm so incredibly happy I don't have to fake like or back up Brian Kelly for the stupid <laughs> shit he does. Because that's really, it's really what it was. It really, it really it, I had to in my own head like stand up. I, I had to stand up for the guy because he's Notre Dame's coach. It was like you had to like him, and he did save them from irrelevancy. And there's, yeah. I, I am thankful for that. But it was, it, you didn't, we didn't know it until it happened. And thank God Marcus Freeman was here. Because if this would have happened without him here, I think there would have been a lot more chaos in the program. I mean, look at Oklahoma. There would have been a lot different. The sense of stability he's provided, I think it was a blessing in disguise. And I think it was just probably time. Yeah. Um, You got to feel for Brian Kelly's daughter. Uh, Oh, yeah. You just really – you have to. Some of those TikToks were hilarious. A semester away from graduating from Notre Dame. And she's going to stay and finish her education. They're good on her for doing that. And if anybody, if we have any sort of Notre Dame listenership, be nice. Don't. Uh, this is not. This is not her doing. I'm sure she would have loved for her dad to continue to be the head coach of the team. But uh, but things change. Uh, situations change. If you can change. I can change. Anybody can change. Uh, Brian Kelly's not changing. He's bringing that same smug smile uh, down to the bayou where he can do his 
fake accent and tell everyone that he hasn't won all his games yet. So uh, we'll see how it works out there. We'll see how it works out for the Irish. But uh, more in the short term here, Matt, we need to talk about some of those conference championship results. Any big takeaways? Anything surprise you? I mean, obviously, we touched upon briefly the Alabama-Georgia outcome and just the way that game played out. The top defense in the country that had allowed a touchdown or less in seven of their 12 games, averaging 6.9 points allowed per game, allows Uh what was it, 41 to a Bama offense that scored three points in 59 minutes against Auburn. I'm not sure if that was, you know, we, we talk about December Brady. How about December Saban getting his team to do what they need to do at the time they need mm-hmm. to do it? Did you learn more about Alabama or Georgia in that football game? Uh, Alabama, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I At the time, I was shocked like everybody. Not that Bama won, but how convincingly they did it. Yep. Looking back on this, uh, on things now, one, it's just we should never, ever, 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 ever look past Nick Saban or yeah. under what, undervalue him, whatever. Also, yeah, there's there's whispers. Can Georgia get the job done? This is a team that should have beat them. If you're Georgia, I don't care. I, I know it's the SEC championship. I know it's Nick Saban. I know it's Bam. I know it's the dragon you haven't slayed yet. You had a desperate Alabama team going up against a Georgia team that not only had nothing to play for, literally other than an SEC championship in terms of winning a national title, Georgia had nothing to play for. Yeah. Going up against the Bama team who had to win fighting for their lives. And honestly, Georgia, not only they have nothing to play for, I I don't want to be the guy that's – I think I already have on Twitter actually, but I don't want to be the guy that knocks their schedule a ton. But their schedule was very similar to Notre Dame's. They had some big I names think you on there. Of their schedule. I so did. You're, you're being I, that I'm guy that guy. Again. But like, I, I'm more comparing it to Notre Dame's in that like yes. it started out looking impressive and ended up not being all that impressive. And I'm not going to totally yeah. fault them for that because you can only play who's on, especially when you're at conference. You can only play who's on your conference schedule. But their big game was supposed to be Florida this year. Florida was not Florida. I think I think we learned they weren't what we expected to be. Tennessee is fine, but like. They didn't play any spectacular teams, and they didn't really have that big – that was their first big game they actually had to get up for, uh, and they had nothing really to play for behind it. So I'm not, in hindsight, completely and totally shocked. I'm I'm much more interested to see how they come out now against Michigan, to see if that was the real Georgia or if that was the not all mentally there Georgia because we don't have to be. Yeah, and uh, a fun little – Fun little gambling note here. Nick Saban in his tenure at Alabama has been, or excuse me, not counting, I believe, I think throughout the first year, I think in the last 14 years, Alabama under Nick Saban has been an underdog three times, including the SEC championship game on Saturday. They have won all three of those games by double digits. So if you ever find yourself in the coming years catching points with Bama, move the mortgage uh, onto the tide because Nick Saban has a way of getting his boys up in the biggest moments. And uh, I think we saw that again on Saturday. And we went, we might've been asking the wrong question, Matt. We went from asking the question of, you know, does two loss Bama get into a playoff? Whereas the question we needed to be asking was, is Alabama still the team to beat? And after that SEC title game, the answer for me is without a doubt, yes. I don't know who beats them for the rest of the season. Yeah, I even with John Mechie going down, like that offense is still explosive. Bryce Young looked like the best player in the country. There's it gave just, that uh, Williamson kid. Uh, Jameson Williams. Williams. Jameson Williams, yeah. thank you. It gave Jameson Williams an opportunity to say, hey, look at me. I'm the fastest player in college football. Yeah. 
It's, it's that's always the case. Uh, Jalen Waddle a year ago goes down week one or week two, whatever that was. And Devontae, Devontae Smith goes and wins Devontae the Heisman. Smith ends up winning, winning a Heisman. So depth is not the issue it's, when yeah. it comes to the Alabama football program. I just did a we, – because we're partners with 24-7 Sports and we do a bunch of commitments. I did a commitment uh, yesterday with the number two athlete in the country who just committed to Bama and will be the next kid that we're hearing about Isaiah yeah. Bond in two, three years' time. So they're going to be just fine. Hey, any of those kids that you talk to, like before, you know, when you're doing like kind of like a check-in, like, hey, how you doing, you know, before yeah. the actual interview starts – if any of them are considering Notre Dame, maybe just under the table, be like, hey, I'll just give them some money or something. NIL in terms, though. Just so, give them a little money. So the way it works, because we have to have all the graphics built, this and that, yeah. I know where these kids are going before. Like, our new our control room knows where the oh, kids are going. Oh, great. Just build the graphic that says Notre Dame. Before any, just like, he, he'll be locked into that. If he's going yeah. to Florida State, be like, no, no, no we no, said Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. <laughs> like, oh, okay, guess I'm going to Notre Dame. Graphic says it. Well, so. uh, we've had throughout the last year and doing these some nice pieces heading to the Irish. So I think they're going to be fine as well. Yeah. Um, as long as they can retain those guys, which I'm sure. Seems I'm like sure they have. That Marcus Freeman, it's going to be. One safety num- has Number one. And yeah. he's still like, he's not out on the program. He just, he's yeah, like, so all right, I'm going to take a step back and, and, and look at things, which is fine. Yeah. Um, any other big takeaways from conference championship week? Or you want to talk these two matchups when it comes to college football playoff? Cincinnati impressed me, but I guess we can talk about that in the matchup. I just, Houston's a, obviously not a power five team, but they're a good football team. And Cincinnati came out and, a slow-ish first quarter, they came out and spanked them. That was an impressive game. They could have turned a little bit. Since he has continually done what they needed to do, and you you have to reward them for that, and the reward for that is playing against Alabama. We talked about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I like to get flowery and prosaic at times when I'm uh, writing these intros. And the way I sort of phrased it yesterday was, if Cincinnati intends to play the role of Cinderella, Alabama is the clock on the wall. They are the unit by which all other teams are measured, and mm-hmm. you're going to get measured on New Year's Eve. You're, you're going to see who you truly are when you go against a number one. Not a number one this year, not a number one last year. The number one. The number one college football program for the last decade and a half. That's when you're going to find out who you are, and we're going to see who Cincinnati is. I, I – they're playing for a whole lot. They're playing for not only themselves, obviously, and a, a, a chance at a national Playing for the little like, guy. No, but they actually they, – they, <laughs> they're really not just are. playing for the little guy. They are playing it for as long as this – now, again, it'll probably open up to six or eight or 12 or whatever the hell it does in a so couple of years. But that, that seems like it's not happening for a couple of years now. Yeah. They're play, if they go out and give Bama a game – there now becomes conversations in uh, next year when Nate, why, I don't, Houston is thirteen and zero or something like that you, and yeah. has a marquee win. You, whatever those guys now because because yeah I know uh, since he played Georgia tough in the Sugar Bowl last year but that was a Sugar Bowl Georgia didn't play at full strength all that kind of stuff UCF beat Auburn a couple of years ago but same situation that wasn't a playoff game if you go into a playoff game and you play Nick Saban. Very close, and I'm not even saying you win it, but you lose 31-27 to Nick Saban. Like that, that catches something. the committee's eye. That ca- and even if it's not all of Power Five, they're going to start looking at Cincinnati as long as Luke Fickles there as a the team. Like, oh, okay, like no, I, we actually have to take them seriously now. Completely agree with you. And the flip side of that coin is if they get their doors blown off next and, year, you see a two-loss Oklahoma get in over yep. an undefeated Houston. That's just mm-hmm. it, it means a lot more than just the sixty minutes of football. I completely agree with you there. Um, and I think that 
I don't know. I don't want to make any proclamations about it because it wouldn't surprise me if Alabama absolutely boat races them. But last year, they lost by three points in the Sugar Bowl to a really good Georgia team. So Mm -hmm. uh, they they have hung around before. We'll see if they can hang around again. The other matchup, so that's the 330. That's going to be the first game we see on New Year's Eve. And then the night game is the Georgia-Michigan game. And I think that it's going to look like two different sports from the first game. Oh, yeah. Two offenses, airing airing it out, pass-first approaches. And then you're going to watch just three a yards in a cloud of dust. arm wrestle between uh, between two teams that don't have a quarterback. So, uh, what, what are your Georgia, prevailing thoughts here? You know, I've never. If I'm felt, Georgia. Uh, I'm getting know, JT Daniels ready. Yeah, I, I, you're, I, I don't. I, I don't know why not. I don't you know, think I, he's been hurt the last few weeks. Like I think he's been like health. I, I believe he's. Stetson Bennett has showed you that he can't. Yes, Stet- you know what, Stetson Bennett, I, I probably think can beat Michigan because it, the, in order to beat Michigan, like we we're talking about, and that, that that's not a knock on Michigan. That's more the style of game it's going to be against Michigan. Isn't going to ask Stetson Bennett to complete thirty passes on forty attempts and you know throw four touchdowns and no interceptions. It's going to ask him to complete seventeen passes on twenty five attempts and throw for one hundred and eighty yards, two hundred and a couple touchdowns, not turn the ball over. JT Daniel, like. If you're going to beat Alabama, it's got to be with a guy like that, your five-star guy. Yeah. And if you, if he is healthy, you really have to consider getting him ready for the playoff because I, it's not. I think like Stetson Bennett's not a bad player. It's just he is not going to be able to compete with not Alabama. A great player. He's not a great player, um, and great players that, win your college football games. I think that regardless of what the name on the back of the uniform under center is. Probably going to have Aiden Hutchinson and Ojibbo in his lap for yes. the majority of that game. I think that those guys are those are Sunday pass rushers, and those both of those guys are going to go in the first round. Uh, Hutchinson, he's got the traction right now. He might go number one, um, mm. depending on who has that pick. And uh, it is a, I, it is an ed, edge rusher uh, draft rather than a quarterback draft this season. But I, I just think that I think that Michigan now has the tape on how you beat Georgia, but yeah, but like the tape is have Bryce Young. Yeah. Not offensively. I I think that, I think that, I think that in what they can do to nullify and negate the offensive attack of Georgia. And that's, you know, load the box and beat the crap out of them. I'm really willing to play that, that physical brand of football. I think that's what I think. I think, I think Michigan can do that. I know that they can't do what Alabama can do offensively. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm honestly like, I think you're right. I, I love Michigan's front seven. It's it's incredibly talented. It's incredibly fun to watch. They got a lot of guys that are going to play on Sundays. The one unit I feel like we're always talking about having one or two offensive linemen go in the first two rounds is Georgia. And I know mm-hmm. they got beat up a little bit against Alabama, but I, again, I, I don't know where they were exactly where that offense was mentally. I'm really excited to see Georgia's offensive line go against Michigan's front seven, strength on strength. And then on the flip side, Michigan's offensive line and Georgia's pretty dominant front seven because where Georgia got beat was not stopping the run. It was they couldn't stop Bryce uh, Bryce Young. Like yeah. that front seven's really good. There's a whole lot of guys defensively for both of them that are going to be playing on Sundays. And I, I'm very excited to see both very capable offensive lines going up against those front sevens. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's all going down on December 31st. Obviously, we'll have – picks and preview and plenty of other things in the lead up to that Matt. Uh, but before we say goodbye to college football, I mean, season's essentially over. We have so the full season, which is great. And we'll enjoy that. And we'll wager wildly, but um, yes, we I will. think that uh, we do need to talk about the Heisman uh, ceremony, uh, the flaws within it, 
Uh, Bryce Young is the prohibitive favorite, according to the folks out in Vegas, to win the award. Uh, it's Young, uh, Pickett from Pittsburgh, who's reset their record books and reset some ACC records as well. Anytime that you're in the same conversation as Dan Marino in terms of numbers, you're doing something right. So uh, he'll get a trip to New York here on Saturday. He'll be joined by C.J. Stroud and Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive player. It seems like we're trending towards giving defensive guys the nod to at least be there, which is nice. I would love to see us start actually entertaining defensive players for the award because it is the – it is the best college. It's the award for the best college football player. Yeah. And sometimes that's a defensive player. And the kid from Alabama should be there sitting next to Hutchinson because his numbers are better. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that any of them really can even contend for this award next to Bryce Young. I know Bryce Young has made some mistakes this season and maybe hasn't really been the undisputed Heisman we look for at times, but of this group, to me, it's just, it's pretty cut and dry. How would you, so how would you vote then? Bryce Young one, Hutchinson two? Yeah, because C.J. Stroud collapsed in the biggest moment of the season. Um, and Pickett just, I, I don't think he was visible enough. Um, I, you know, fun fun fake slide last week, which one should be a penalty. You shouldn't be able to do that. No, defenders, I agree. Defenders already are so It was awesome, but yeah, that do. was that should have been a penalty. Uh, you can't do that. Um, but the numbers are more – the numbers speak for Pickett more than anything that we've seen, and I don't think that that's enough. I think we need to see you do it on Saturday, and Pitt might not, Pitt might not be visible enough. Um, it's, it's that, become, I think that's the, award, the answer. The award has become – the best player on the best team. And I'm not unfortunately, but the reality of the fact is more times than not, that's Alabama. Yeah. Uh, it's, it just, it should be Bryce young uh, in terms of, of all the factories you kind of mentioned. I, I'm probably with you. I think it's Bryce young one Hutchinson two. I would, I would probably vote for Pickett over Stroud. Um, I just, I, that's, CJ, I'd agree with you there. CJ Stroud. I gotta be honest with you. I wasn't all that impressed with him throughout this year. He had a great game was against like a Michigan State. Three, four week stretch where there, he looked like, like, oh, okay. exactly. And hey, you know, early on he wasn't great, but maybe it was you know, no. fresh, for a guy getting his first, you know, first few starts at the college level, all that kind of stuff. I wasn't really impressed with him. He was throwing to yeah. th- probably maybe the three best re- receivers in college football, or at least two of the five, and you know, three top ten receivers in college football, like. I don't want to say you or I could do it, but like yeah. he wasn't. Be, it's not like he was asked to you be carrying offenses completely. Not like Bryce Young doesn't have a lot of talent around him too. But C.J. Stroud had more talent around him and did a whole yeah. lot less with it than Bryce Young did. Um, um, that's also why I have Kenny Pickett high on my list too, because I think if you look where he is at Pitt, I know he lost I think a couple games too. this year. Great quarterback name, first off. Yeah, but like. <laughs> Pickett, uh, but I think it's a good. Like, I think it's good if you're if you're a good quarterback. It's a great it's an quarterback ironic name. quarterback. If you're terrible, it's yeah. not. It doesn't work out for you. But like, it's not like he's working working with the with the best talent over at Pitt. And like he was, yeah. I thought he was spectacular this year. He's probably gonna be the first quarterback drafted. Um, I thought he was really good. I think he deserves a little bit more than just being there. Probably some votes too. But it, it'll be Bryce Young, and it won't really matter who's and after now, that. Now, uh, just to kind of paint with broader strokes here. If you're the type of person that doesn't like the repetition, that is sick of Alabama being the powerhouse and getting the Heismans and winning the national title and being in seven of eight college football playoffs, just don't be a prisoner of the moment because two decades ago, 
Alabama was nothing. Prior to Nick Saban, Alabama didn't have a, a pot to piss in, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better term. It's going to change. And, in, and we're probably closer to it changing than we are to the beginning of this dynasty. Because Nick Saban only has so many years left as a head coach. And when he leaves, it changes. If you want to look at it through the lens of the Heisman, Bryce Young will be the first Alabama quarterback to ever win the award. And, and we get so caught up in these moments that it's like, oh, an Alabama quarterback wins it every year. No, an Alabama quarterback's never won it. And they've been there and they've gotten votes. They'll be the first Alabama quarterback to win it. And if you want to go even deeper here, Alabama doesn't have that many Heismans. Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, Devontae Smith, and likely Bryce Young. Four guys have won the Heisman out of Alabama. This is the moment. This is the team of the generation. But generations change, and generational talents come and go. I I think that we are closer to the end than the beginning, and I've always been one to celebrate greatness. Let's celebrate Alabama and these players right now. Yeah, it's been an incredible run, and honestly probably is – I still don't think it's ending that soon. Saban seems like the psychopath. He's going to coach till he's 80. Um, yeah, but that's okay. That's, that's what? But, yeah, I, I know, I know what you're years? trying to say. Yes, I know what you're trying to say. I'm just more um, worried that Nick Saban's going to coach till he's 80. That, that he's going he's gonna to access the fountain of youth and at 120 win his 13th consecutive college football playoff. Seriously. In a, in a 32-team format. Yep. He'll have seen it all. Oh, goodness. Uh, Matt, it's been a great pod. You got anything else for the people? That seems like as good of a place as I need to stop at an 120-year-old Nick Saban winning a national championship. <laughs> uh, the year is 2032. The Alabama Crimson Tide taking on Clemson. And I've lost my mind. Uh, that's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast episode three. Oh, wait. No, no, no. Let's not say goodbye. I just invoked the word Clemson. Is it over? Can I ask you that question? Is it over? Uh, he leaves coming off a bad year. Quarterback who's supposed to be great might not be. Is it over next year? I think. I think. I think it's too early to say. I think one year's much too early to say. Next okay. year is going to answer some questions, though. I think because so. their recruiting classes, their recruiting classes are not top three, top four like they have been in the past, and that's where you start to see some problems. Dabo's thing's been a, been being able to recruit, and if he's not continuously getting five stars. That might be a slippery slope, but uh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for one more year. Matt Rooney is the hottest head coaching candidate in the year 2032, trying to beat Nick Saban. So you can't go to Alabama. I can do it. You can't go to Notre Dame. I've I've beaten him several times in NCAA 2014. Okay. My, My question is, with the college coaching carousel being what it is right now, what job is the best job outside of Notre Dame and Alabama, which I'm sure you would pick? Oh, boy. What job are you taking, Mario Cristobal? Wow. Man, that's a, Riley. That's, a, that's a tough question. It's got to be somewhere in the SEC, right? I don't know. I think that I think that Lincoln Riley is set up for the most immediate SEC's success. SEC's pretty good. Yeah, yeah he's got to turn things around. He's got to get the talent in the building. He's got to recruit the state. But SC, the history of that program, the Pac-12s for the taking – I think I'm going to Southern Cal. I'm surfing in the morning. I'm coaching in the evening. I'm winning at night. If Texas was still in the Big 12, I'd say Texas has the most draw to it. But Texas okay. going, to the, going to the SEC tough. is tough. tough. Honestly, as much as I, I don't like the guy they have running there now, LSU is set up perfectly. You are in a very talent-rich state of kids that have no desire to play anywhere but LSU. You yep. have a region that you can recruit pretty well to. 
Hey, you have a so you want to be a lazy recruiter, is what you're saying. You just want it all to come to you. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I'm on the private jet, boots on the ground, sitting in living rooms. You're on the private jet from what? From from what? West Hollywood to yes, Costa Mesa, like that's where you're flying. We're coast to coast, baby. I'm in Hollywood. I'm in West Hollywood, and then I'm in Hollywood, Florida, going and getting me a couple running backs. See, that's a five-hour flight. That's a that's a long flight. Yeah, but it seems like a lot. I'll tell the kid, hey, you want to come back on the private jet, take a look at the program, the program, and yeah, because I'm going to also adopt the southern accent, even though have to. I'm going to LA. If you if you are a college football head coach, you just have to adopt the southern uh, accent. I think that's a rule. Well, we hope you enjoyed our program here on the Moose and Runes podcast, episode 233, alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, always a blast. Uh, as always, hit us up on Twitter, at Moose and Runes. Send us the mailbags. We know we haven't been in the mailbag for quite, a, quite some time, but... As sad it is to say, a uh, college football season rounding out. NFL will be at that so stage sad. before in the blink of an eye, and we will need those mailbag questions to get us through the dark days of the Moose and Runes podcast. But you guys always do well by us. So hit us on Twitter. For Matt, I'm Joe. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.